This is Postcards from Grafton. We're exploring the most fascinating people and places in our community and everything in between. We are your hosts, Carrie Mariner and Fred Backstrom, librarians and historians at the Grafton Midview Public Library. This podcast is made possible by the Grafton Village History Association. Today, I'm talking with Fred about the Bivens murders. He doesn't know anything about them, so we are going to be sharing the story and he'll be reacting along with you. Turns out murder is bad, which, you know, it's not really a shock, but it's strange to hear these stories about, you know, the place you live or work. And, you know, true crime is a compelling thing. And, yeah, I've never heard about this, so... Uh, I think you'll all really enjoy hearing it at the same time as I'm hearing it, so have fun. Yeah, even though this takes place in the 1800s, those motives still feel very contemporary, so... Yeah, it doesn't really change, does it? No. Even 130-some years later. Yeah. Let's get into it. Our history matters, our community matters, enjoy the stories. All right, so I'm very excited for this episode because it's like a grown-up story time, and I usually do story times, so. That's true. I do like stories. Yes. I won't sing for this, but we'll still have a good story. Oh, man. (laughs) That's fair. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. So, I want to ask you, because we are talking about the Bivens murders today, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Mm. What do you you know so far? Which are probably all details that I've leaked. (laughs) Well, yeah, probably. Um, I know we got that information during. It was like it was donated to the library in the in the summer mm-hmm. when a lot of us weren't <laughs> were furloughed, so I didn't actually hear about it. So it never came through my desk. And all I know is it was a long time ago. It's something to do in Michigan, uh, or at least the, something about the murder in Michigan. I'm not actually sure. And it's I'm not even sure how it relates to Grafton. If I'm honest <laughs> with you, I know I think it's a a person that lived here and then met somebody else and something like that. But I, I don't really know much beyond that. So yeah. I'm, in, I'm interested to hear actually. <laughs> <laughs> you are, you're on the right track with everything. Okay. So we got, we got this person, David mm-hmm. F. Bivens, his autobiography in the summer that he wrote in prison. As you do. Yes. Mm-hmm. As you do when you're in solitary confinement, mm-hmm. he murdered his wife, mother and father oh, okay. in Michigan Okay, everybody. Yes. yes, he murdered his whole family. Oh, gee, okay. They were all from Michigan, mm-hmm. but the motive is actually here in Grafton, uh, okay. because he falls in love with a woman in Grafton. Uh, well, that explains it. Grafton's a dangerous place. So, let's kind of set the mm-hmm. scene a little bit, because okay. this happens in end of 1864, beginning of 1865. Reconstruction. Or early Reconstruction, late Civil War. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I want to talk about that, too, because that. that's going to play a big part in our really? story. The murders take place on January 31st, 1865. So how would you oh. kind of describe Grafton, like, in the 1860s? Well, in the 1860s, Grafton would have had the railroad for about 20 years or so, so it would be starting to um, develop pretty, pretty heavily, actually, at that point. Um Especially for that, la- that latter half of the 19th century, Grafton was growing kind of by leaps and bounds in some ways. It was also quite dangerous as far as I've, from the stories I've read at least, especially at least in the late 1800s, uh, because you know, trains bring traffic, bring people, bring crime. Um, you know, Jesse James had family here, I believe. Um, somebody's, I know there's some documented evidence of, of him visiting a, aunt or some female relative here um but like the lincoln train went through grafton so there's a lot of a lot of action at at that time in grafton at least as far as i know and from what i've read yeah i mean there's there's a lot of factors that kind of combine because you have sandstone being discovered in the 1840s yeah the quarries sure So you have quarries developed um you have grist mills that are starting in the 1850s Mm -hmm. by the 1850s we also get a post office here even though yes, it's not home delivery, no. you have to go and pick it up. Oh, yeah. But there's still a post office. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati Railroad completed. Yes. The... And that's <laughs> bringing all of your traffic in. Yeah, that 3C Railroad was hev- heavily trafficked, as far as I know. And not only bringing, like, visitors, but also Civil War soldiers. Lots are, of them, yes. Yes, traveling to and from mm-hmm. on this railroad. Because mm-hmm. when you think about this... This murder takes place 
right at the end of the Civil War. So it's before Lincoln is assassinated and before, like, the official Mm -hmm. surrender. Mm -hmm. But this happens, like, just after Ulysses Grant is promoted to, like, the head of the army. It's um, after the Battle of Cold Harbor. It's after the Atlanta campaign where you have Mm -hmm. Sherman coming in and just destroying the South. So... Oh, yes. Yeah, it's that's a factor. 56 or not 50, uh, 65, you said? 65 is when the murder occurs. Yeah. The buildup is the end of 64. Okay, yeah. So I think Grafton Hmm. is a reflection of what else is going on in the North, like all this economic development, transportation development. True. So just something to keep in mind as we Hmm. start our journey. Let's start with David's parents first because... There are some themes with his parents that we'll see Hmm. with him. (laughs) Mm, Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. So his father is Benjamin Bivens, and he leaves New York at age 23 to go to Woodstock Township, Michigan. Benjamin is pretty poor, and he has a really large family, Mm -hmm. um, so not everyone can be supported. So he's like, I'm going to make my fortune and go to Michigan. Sarah, his mother, Sarah Terrell, she was a teacher. She was from a very wealthy family. Her father, David, owned a hotel and a farm. So Benjamin kind of works for, like, a bunch of different people. Mm -hmm. He's working at a tavern at one point. He's working on different farms. And then he finally works for David and meets his daughter, Sarah. So that's how they meet. Mm. They get married in July 1838. And as a wedding gift, Sarah's father gives them 40 acres of land. It's pretty stingy, honestly. <laughs> What's that? 40 acres. Wow. This gets even more stingy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> because David really wants Benjamin and Sarah to live with him in the hotel and to, like, uh, work on his land. Sure. So he gives them nothing else. He cuts them off completely, hmm. thinking that if he's really, really stingy and hard with them, that they'll move in. They'll just live with him. Yes. Hmm. This does the opposite. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, it. That would happen today, so I guess that makes sense. David F. ends up describing his parents as, like, eating cornbread for years. That's all they can really afford to eat. Um, They don't have a dining room table, so they're eating off of this, like, chest that Sarah's had since she was a kid. Mm. And it's just a really rough three or four years Mm -hmm. that they're living on this land. Um, Because there's no buildings either, so Benjamin has to build... Everything. Everything. Lots of people did at that point. In 1840, um, sometime in the spring, Sarah gives birth to Albert Bivens, but Sarah and Benjamin become really sick. Hmm. So in David's autobiography, he describes it as the chill, the fever so prevalent at that time in Michigan. So I'm thinking typhoid fever, maybe. Uh, probably something like that. It could have been any of those, honestly. Yeah. I mean, yellow fever was around, but that was more in the South by this point. Yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking with sanitation issues, especially because Woodstock and Michigan was still a territory at this point, I think. Yeah, that, I don't believe Michigan was a state at that point. Yeah. So when you don't have proper sanitation, no, a lot of disease can happen. <laughs> very, very common. Yes. Yes. So they, they're really ill for several months. They end up recovering, but Albert passes away. He only lives for a few months during this time, and then he dies, the baby. Yeah, very common. Yes. Then we have David F. Bivens, born on July 17th, 1842. 42. Mm-hmm. So a couple of years later. I'll quote you what he says in his autobiography, because I think it's very interesting. Great God, could my parents have foreseen what was in store for them? Could my mother, who rejoiced that kind providence, had again blessed her with a child... Could she have foreseen that the uncontrolled passions of that child were to plant thorns in her future pathway? Very different would have been her feelings. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. If, if he killed them. Mm-hmm. When David is born, then Sarah and Benjamin decide to move in with her father. Um, so mm. we have David the grandfather mm. and then David F the grandson. Grandchild, yes. Yes. David, the grandson, is an immediate hit at the hotel. Like, they adore him. Cute baby, sure. Of course. (laughs) Yes. Makes sense. As he gets older, they'll, like, pay him to do magic tricks. And he's like, yeah. (laughs) Magic tricks? Yes. Oh, that's not a good sign. That's, I mean, magic's fun and all, but uh, it's also a little terrifying in in a weird way. And he's just considered very precocious, and Mm. they're just always giving him gifts or money. 
And it doesn't help either that, like, the grandfather just completely dotes on him. Like, he adores him. David describes himself, uh, while I was going to school, I was considered smart and intelligent. And being of a disposition somewhat mischievous, I received many whippings. So. Yeah, same here, <laughs> so I understand that. Mm -hmm. Sarah and Benjamin become really uneasy about, like, all this attention being paid to their son. Probably a good idea. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they think that everyone's spoiling him. Mm -hmm. They want him to, like, have a good work ethic like they mm -hmm. have, sure. being on this farm with no land or no property. Mm -hmm. um, and then they want him to get an education as well. So when he is around five, seven years old, they leave the hotel and go back to their own farm. Mm, that's a little traumatic, I would assume. And then also what happens, too, is, like, his grandfather passes away almost immediately after they move out. And then he leaves hmm. a large portion of his estate to Sarah. Mm, yeah. Makes sense. Yes. To kind of give you another example of his personality, at 15, he decides to run away from home. Him and his cousin Wallace steal his father's watch, and they sell it to get money to get passage on a train. Sure. They get as far as Toledo, and then they run out of money. And they also become really homesick. Mm, yeah, <laughs> 15-year-olds. What ends up happening, though, is when they arrive in Toledo, there's a train crash, and six cars mm. fall off the tracks. And the conductor says, hey, I know you don't have money for passage to or from. Um, if you just kind of watch the goods that fall off the train, I'll take you back home to Michigan for free. And yeah. they agree to do so. Well, yeah, that's fair trade, sure. Yes. So David returns home. His father is pretty furious that he's tried to run away. But what I find interesting is he gives him $5 and says, if you want to run away, just take this. $5 would not be an inconsider inconsiderable amount of money at that point. Yeah. Also, what? Yeah. <laughs> huh. Sounds like he didn't want him. Yeah. In a little bit. That, at least I, I wonder if a 15-year-old would hear that and think, oh, he doesn't want me around, does he? Yeah, I mean, he's not hmm. really punished. He's just like, you know, here, no. take this if you really want to go. Oh, you were gone? If you really want to go, here's some cash. Yeah. Huh. That could explain some things, maybe. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, he doesn't leave anymore. He stays. He finishes school. And then, between 17 and 19, he tries to go to college multiple times. Um, but illness comes up again. Mm. Um, his mom is really susceptible to being sick. So whenever she gets ill, mm -hmm. he'll drop out of college and come home. Sure. And then David actually gets very sick as well. Um, he says that he's confined to his bed for three months with what, again, he refers to as a fever. But he does say that it later develops into typhoid fever. And then he says hmm. okay. that this resulted in neurosis or disease of the bone, which incapacitated me from all work and confined me frequently to the house for about two years where an operation was performed removing the diseased bone by Dr. N. Kimball. Hmm. Well, I'm no doctor, but that sounds not good. Yeah. Also, diseased bone is... Like, what bone? Did he say what bone? No. There's no there's no information further on the surgery. It's like his femur, and now his leg is just a, <laughs> a bunch of jelly or something? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, when you think about it, it's like, what... It's like, what bone would you remove? Interesting. And I wonder how that would develop. During this period, he meets his first wife. Her name is Mary, <laughs> and they meet through church. They're both Methodist Episcopal members. Oh, dear. Yes. <laughs> They're very active in the church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then it also sounds like Mary is a frequent visitor to David's house when he's sick. Um, mm. There's a lot of well-wishers, and she's one of them that just happens to be around at this time. They form a close bond. Sure. And in December of 1860, when they're both 19, they get married. Mm-hmm. Okay. David really wants land, like how his parents received for their wedding. But his parents <laughs> say no. <laughs> <laughs> So they said, instead of giving you land, just live on the farm with us. And because Mary is so close with David's parents, she's like, yeah, let's do this. She says, all right. Yes. Sounds like a plan. And they do. Mm -hmm. In June of 1862, so two years later, two years, yeah. um, they both get the measles. Mary is actually six months pregnant at this time. Very not good. Yes, because the measles throw her into a miscarriage. Yep. And then she dies from complications of the miscarriage. Uh, yeah. 
David recovers, but he is completely devastated by this. Of course, yeah, makes sense. And so devastated, in fact, that three weeks after her death, he decides to join the 18th Michigan Infantry, saying, I enlisted in the Army unknown to my parents, not caring much of what became of me, Mm. and having a vain hope that on the battlefield I might meet with the death that would unite me to her, whose society I had just been deprived of. Yeah, he's not doing too well. No. (laughs) And, I mean, Civil War soldiers... That was rough for them. Although you would probably die of illness instead of a battle wound. So it would not be pretty. Yes. I mean, that's kind of a, an interesting mm-hmm. misconception that yes. people have. Oh, yeah. No, most people die from dysentery or something. Yeah. And even right. during the time for him to think, like, oh, I'll be mm-hmm. killed in battle when, no, you no. might get a disease like your late wife did. And Yeah. It's, it's yeah. much more common. So his parents end up finding out. And they're like, this is a really bad idea. Like, you are... <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not ideal, especially right. with the Civil War happening. Yes. So they pay $10 for a substitute so David can come home. Yes. Oh, yeah. Can you explain what a substitute is at this point in time? From what I know, a substitute was usually somebody that a person hired to fulfill their um, role in, in a draft or required required service um a lot of times there were people as far as i I believe a lot of times there were people who needed money Mm. obviously so they almost it almost felt to me like indentured servitude in some ways um yes yeah um, because you're i mean you're essentially buying a a person's life in a a lot of ways because they're going to a war so you know they're not going to a picnic Mm -hmm. they're going to be shot at and you know catch dysentery or typhoid or any of the various illnesses the flu that kind of thing but yeah substitutes were were not uncommon from what Mm -hmm. i uh, have read and this actually shows like just how wealthy david's family is because a lot of people can't afford a substitute no and this will really become a problem for the south in the civil war because a lot of confederate wealthy families Mm -hmm. will pay to have substitutes for their sons and then when it comes towards the end of the war, like, they can't get people to do this. Yeah, and they're not interested <laughs> in fighting. Right, right. So they uh, doesn't work out too well for them. Right. It's not a very good system in, in reality. No. I think it, isn't it World War One? it finally phases yeah, out? Yeah, it was, it was somewhere in the 20th century they stopped doing it that way because it didn't work. Yeah. Um, and then they just used the draft, which is... Also, not ideal, as we found out in subsequent wars. Mm-hmm. Um, it's better to have a volunteer force, generally, yes. or, a, or a mercenary force, mm-hmm. a la Machiavelli. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was yeah that ended in the 20th century, I believe. Yeah. So David comes home, but he really starts to drift. Mm. I mean, for a while he'll sell medicine. He'll try to go to college, but not really faithfully. Um, And at one point, um, he goes to school in Rollins, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And he reconnects with an old classmate, James Brennis. And James introduces him to his wife's sister, Mm -hmm. who will become his second Second wife. wife, Her name is Laura Jane Brownwell, or Brownell, excuse me. And they also bond over church. I mean, they go to Mm -hmm. church every Mm -hmm. Sunday together. Sure. They are married February 14th, 1864. And David doesn't tell his parents about the marriage. Instead, he just Uh-oh. shows up and is like, hey, can we have some land? This is my new wife. Give me property. Yes. I mean, yeah, that's what I would have done, too. So that's <laughs> hmm. And again, his parents say no. Didn't go well, no. No. They said, you should just live here with us. And much like his first marriage, they agree. Yeah, I mean... Makes sense. Yeah. So this is okay for a few months. But by October, David becomes really restless again. Mm -hmm. um, Because his parents just aren't letting him do anything. They won't give him property. They won't give him anything to do on the farm. Um, He's still not faithfully going to school. But they don't... He doesn't even have a job on the farm? No. I mean, they just... like a layabout. Yeah. He Mm. says um, of his parents, I didn't even buy my own clothes. The first suit of clothes I ever bought for Mm. myself was my uniform when I went into the army. I Mm. never bought my wife but a few things. 
My father bought all of our clothes and indeed everything we would need. You can see by these circumstances how much I was humored by my kind and fond parents whose only aim seemed to make their only child happy and contented. It's obviously their goal, and nobody likes buying Well, some people like buying clothes, but I don't, so. <laughs> I mean, that sounds all right to me, because, ugh, clothes. But, yeah, that could... I mean, with his other issues and other traumas, that doesn't help him stand on his own and feel like he can stand on his own, which we know leads to problems yes often yeah i mean he's really he's not doing anything that gives him a sense of purpose his parents are providing mm -hmm. for him and his family mm -hmm. so he decides to again join the army even though his wife is about four months pregnant and then suffers a miscarriage the perfect time to join the army then. yes mm -hmm. <laughs> great he really wants to be a second lieutenant he doesn't want to just join the army and be a private. That's a strange thing to be. I want to be a second lieutenant. Yes. So he he gets in touch with this Lieutenant Colonel J.S. Smith, and he tells him, if you can recruit 20 men for the Michigan 10th Infantry, I'll make you second lieutenant. Which is, yeah, that is how it generally happened, actually, at that point. So Yes. It wasn't, it wasn't you're getting promoted or you're going to West Point or something. All the West Point people were in the Confederacy, so <laughs> at least most of them. <laughs> right. David goes to Detroit, and he tries for about three or four weeks to get the number of men that he needs, but he fails. He just cannot get 20 men. Well, yeah, that wouldn't be... At that point, it would be hard to find people that would want... that haven't already gone, I would imagine. Yes. Because at that point, it's a bloody conflict. Right. Yes. And everybody knows that it's... it's not going well. Exactly. I mean, by this point, we're in, you know, mid-1864. Mm-hmm. The war's been going on for a while. Mm -hmm. People are very exhausted. Mm -hmm. um, I think we start to see the tide turn towards the Union it, as well. It was starting to switch that way, yeah. So yeah. people are starting to feel a little bit more confident about their chances of victory and are less willing to risk, I assume. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this Smith colonel tells him, that's okay. Don't worry about it. It's actually better for you to just enlist as a private and be promoted within the ranks. So hmm. David enlisted in the 4th Michigan Cavalry. He spends about six weeks with them before he says he became sick with chronic diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, a, a common thing when they were, that was, a lot of soldiers had that at that point, yeah. So he first tries to submit his resignation to his commanding officer, General Garrett. Because he had diarrhea. Yes. Hmm. That was some bad diarrhea. <laughs> that was my thought. Yeah. <laughs> But the general tells him that he was never properly mustered. <laughs> okay. So what, what do you think that means? What is your interpretation of that? He was never officially in the army. Yeah. If he was never mustered. Because <laughs> <He laughs> mustering never... is, is when you're like officially there, basically. Or at least it was. I don't, I don't know how they do it now. But yeah. So that's how they was, did in the Civil War. He was never placed on He wasn't on the rolls. He wasn't yes. on... <laughs> I, I can see in this room a collection of all the Ohio people, and there's ten volumes of it, mm -hmm. and they're each a thousand pages long. So, if you didn't make it into that, you didn't. You're not in the army. You're just yes. you're just some random schlub that's <laughs> carrying a musket. But what the general tells him is, Rifle. you can't resign, mm -hmm. but go to the local hospital mm -hmm. and see the surgeon and request a furlough. So essentially, mm -hmm. a leave. From leave, service. leave of absence, sure. Yeah. So he goes to the surgeon, and the surgeon's like, yeah, I, I agree that you should leave. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I can't give you a furlough. You have to resign. Well, that seems contradictory. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so David then goes on this mission to find a surgeon who will let him resign from the army. Mm -hmm. So he goes all around Michigan. He ends up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He ends up in Louisville, Kentucky, looking for surgeons. And he gets a different answer from every person he meets. Yeah, that makes sense. Seems like that's how it would work. Seems like a plot from MASH, but I don't know. <laughs> right? <laughs> this that's cleaner trying thinking. to get a section, not cleaner, yeah, cleaner? Trying cleaner. to get a section nine or whatever. Yeah. Section 8. Section 8, whatever it was. I don't know. He ended up cross-dressing at one point. Yeah, and he has to get, like, the three signatures from the doctor. So yeah. whenever a new doctor comes in, he's like, you should sign he, this. And they're all like, whatever, I don't <laughs> care. And he never leaves, so. Yes. 
sounds sounds familiar. It's it's very similar. Hmm. He does submit all of the certificates he gets from doctors because mm-hmm. they all do agree that he is in some way ill and that he should have some kind of leave. Sure, sure. But what ends up happening is he's reported as a deserter because he's gone. Well, if you're gone so long, they're going to notice. They don't, which is funny if he was not mustered out. Yes. <laughs> Seems hmm. like a lot of bureaucratic errors at this point in time. Yeah, you know, par for the course, I assume. Still happens today, so, you know. Yeah. It'd be even worse back then with the difficulty in keeping records. And a lot of records weren't officially kept even until after the Civil War, just domestically, mm-hmm. so... So he's furious and decides that he's never going to be in the army again. Oh. <laughs> and he just leaves to go visit family in New York and spends time with them. And on his way home, he stops in Grafton. And Aha, this, Grafton yes, enters the story. Okay. This is the first Grafton connection mm-hmm. with David F. Bivens. When he's in Grafton, he actually meets an old friend, J.D. Perkins. It's not clear how Perkins and hmm. Bivens know each other. But Perkins has somehow settled in this area. Um, growing community at the time. Yes. So. Perkins is um, selling medicine at the time. And he tells Bivens, you could do the same thing here. Sure, sure. What he also says, which is really interesting to me, there are a number of young ladies that Bivens would have a good chance of hmm. if he were to come to Grafton. And Bivens does not correct him that he has remarried. That he's married and... Yeah. Yes. So he says nothing. Um, He kind of, you know, says, eh, maybe I'll think about it. Doesn't fully commit Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. But he leaves Grafton and he goes home to Michigan. Mm -hmm. When he goes home, he finds out that military officials have actually visited his parents and his wife to find him and arrest him for desertion. Yeah, they didn't like that. Yeah. So this terrifies his wife. She ends up moving back with her parents temporarily, about an hour away. Yeah. And his father says, it's not safe for you here. You need to leave. We can't keep you here. No, not the army's looking for him. Right. So he gives David some money and says, go where you need to go until this kind of blows over. And so David returns to Grafton. Grafton. Where all criminals come. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he agrees to sell medicine. This is about October when he officially moves into Grafton, October of 1864. 64, sure. And he meets Elmira Hart, also known as Myra. Yeah, okay. What do you know about the Hart family in Grafton? The Hart family. Because they're actually a pretty prolific family. Wasn't the Hart building? Was it the Hart building? Am I thinking that right? At least early on they were a big family. I don't know if they stayed as prominent into the 20th century. But I don't know a whole lot about them. I only know... there's the, I think it's the Hart Building. Yeah, I mean, so... that burned down because that was the um, the uh, the restaurant. Yes. Um, it, wasn't, it was Nader. Was it Nader's at the time it burned? Or was it the other? Was it... Oh, boy, I'm losing track of things. I'm five <laughs> feet away from all my records. I don't remember. But yeah, that, and that was arson. Um, but that was the oldest building in, the, in town. At one point, they had a dance hall, I believe, upstairs. Yes, yes. Um, I've seen like folding chairs from that before, um, but yeah, that was uh, right up toward the train tracks, north of where the um, current post office is. Yeah, so you are you are absolutely correct. Myra's father is William Hart, and oh, William Hart. Okay, yes, yes. I know William Hart's name. <laughs> he interesting. Is, he's an oh. architect. Yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also by this point, he's a store owner. Yep. Um, so he has one of the. Stores on Main Street. One of the thousand grocery stores that at one point was on Main Street within 50 feet of each other. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, He was originally from Connecticut, but he visited Ohio in the 1830s and was so smitten with Ohio. Um, He says he loved the Ohio wilderness. That's fair. Yeah, I understand that. He he immediately moved his family here. I believe some other people came from Connecticut, too. Some families from Connecticut. It was a lot of people from Connecticut in this area. Yeah, absolutely. So, interesting. He built the Whitbeck Hotel in 1847. Uh, that's, that's like right. the first major he building the, he... Yeah, that was right where the gas station is right now. Yes. Um, right in the south side of the train tracks, the Whitbeck. Yeah. 
And this is close to the train station um, yep. because a yep. lot of people who are coming in stay at this hotel. Yes. That's what kind of fosters the infrastructure in this area. Yeah, there's a couple of hotels at, at one point right, right up there. Yeah. Myra is 17 at the time she meets David. Mm-hmm. It's not clear how exactly they meet. They do attend church together. That seems to be a common theme. A common theme for lots of people at the time. That was the, the social, that was one of the social uh, places people were socializing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, still is. Yeah. And it just sounds like the Hearts are a very welcoming family. David says that they're constantly inviting him over. Hmm, okay. He says, I was a constant visitor at her house and was always cordially welcomed by her family. They little dreaming that they were nursing a serpent in their bosoms, which would soon destroy all their pleasures. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. He describes Myra as very charming, very friendly. Mm-hmm. He says she was a respectable young lady moving in the first circles of society, her father being a dry goods merchant. Hmm. Okay. So Myra is kind of unique for this time period um, because she's really focused on her education. Yeah, that wasn't as common. Yeah. So yeah. I looked up census records, mm. and in 1860, both her and her sister were teenagers, mm. but she was the only one attending school. Mm. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Not, not a super common thing for teen girls to do at that time. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we got Bivens' autobiography, mm-hmm. it sounded like Myra worked in the store with her father and her brother. Sure. I haven't found concrete, hard evidence of this. Yeah, it's hard to find that kind of stuff. Hard yeah. To put, hard to corroborate a lot of that. But it would kind of fit but with this it, idea that she yeah. is very business-oriented, mm-hmm. very mathematical-oriented, and wants to further think- her education. And people did stay in the family business, and mm-hmm. I mean, that was not an uncommon thing. That was actually the, the common thing at, at the time. Yeah. For, I mean, for centuries and centuries. So it makes sense that she was trying to understand the business better if, mm-hmm. if it was in the family. David is immediately smitten with her and starts pursuing her. The 17-year-old. Yes. Yes. The 17-year-old. David rarely goes home to Michigan. Um, when right. he does, he's thinking of Myra. Yeah, makes sense. And then also, what's really important here is that David does not correct anyone in Grafton about him being a widower, Mm -hmm. about having remarried. Mm -hmm. No one knows that he has this family in Michigan. Secret family. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't tell the Hearts anything about his background. No, it sounds like he wants to get away from that, honestly. At the end of 1864... In December, David proposes to Myra at least three times. The first one is in the beginning of December, and she immediately says no. And this is really because of her family. Because mm. they're like, hey, you don't really know this guy. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's fair. Because if you think about it, that's only three months. Yeah, that's only been a couple months at that point. So yeah. It's a little quick. Yes. So she says no. Mm-hmm. And then he proposes again, saying, well, I want to be married by New Year's. Determined. Yes. And Myra says, maybe. Oh. Because she says that she would like for him to wait for her for three years because she is going to attend Oberlin College the following summer and she wants to finish her education before they're married. That's not a bad goal. So David says yes to this and he says, I remarked to her I would wait any length of time for her. That's very generous of him. Well, it changes quickly. Oh, I'm certain it does. <laughs> He proposes again in January. Well, that didn't take long. And this time she says yes. That was a mistake, probably. Yes. Mm -hmm. So David says that she's very excited about the wedding and that she has started planning, that she's even bought bridal clothes and Mm -hmm. shows him. I don't know how true this is because that's awfully quick. My guess is it's complete falsehood and it's in his imagination. Yes. That's at least based on the stories that we've heard and... A thousand times, that is, that is, my guess is that's his pers- pers- perspective or perception of the situation. Um, but you never know. So in January, he starts panicking, obviously, because he's just proposed to this woman and she has said yes, and he still has a wife in Michigan. Yeah, I mean, that could be a problem. Yes. At least in this, you know, <laughs> at least in, that, in this country, it would have been a problem. Right. 
He starts off for Michigan at least twice in January, deciding to murder his family. What? Already murder? Yes. Also, in Jan- January would be terrible weather to travel at this time, I would imagine. I would think so. I mean, if you want to murder somebody, do it when it's nice outside. Easier to get to him. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> this guy's but messed up. He's he's an interesting person. Well, he clearly has some problems. Yes. Trauma, it, it, tra- trauma PTSD, mental illness, perhaps. I would, I would say so. Because yeah. he immediately goes to murder. To murder, yeah, which is... I mean, your first thought would be, wait, just a divorce, maybe? Right. I mean, as of what he's Protestant, so he should have been able to do that pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I mean, murder is maybe a bit extreme. So, hmm. It also sounds like the family of his second wife are mm-hmm. very quiet. Like, I was looking at different records mm-hmm. um, after the wife is murdered mm-hmm. and like her sister eventually becomes a hermit it seems like all of his fam- the family members hmm. just kind of isolate themselves so if that was already yeah. present i mean it i feel like been, yeah. it could have been easier for him to disengage from yeah the marriage because they're not it's nobody's really present and maybe in some ways yeah um, or maybe they became hermits because she got murdered it, that's very true it's mm-hmm. very possible hmm So he says in his autobiography, I started from Grafton twice, I think, to do the deed, but the moment the train started, I would think of nothing, only how happy my wife would be to see me, and I would be happy to think I had ever overcome such horrid thoughts, and I would pray to God to assist me never to think of it again. I thus lived unhappy and miserably, often wishing I were dead. He needs to see a family therapist, is my guess. Yes. Mm -hmm. Although I don't know. No, I don't think there was family therapists (laughs) at that point. Yeah. No. They might have said, don't murder these people. I would hope so. I mean, probably. (laughs) I guess at least the therapist I've run into would say that. Don't murder people. Mm -hmm. I mean, most people would say that, I assume. Yes. Not everybody, but you know. (laughs) So David finally Hmm. goes home to Michigan on January 31st, 1865. Mm -hmm. According to him, only his wife and his mother are there. Okay. His father is off visiting a neighbor, and he immediately asks his mother to bring him home. Hey, come on back, Pop. Yes. Um, he says that once his parents arrived back, he fired one shot from a revolver. He brought it with him on the train, it sounds like. Yeah, less less security at the in that era, huh? Yes. Mm-hmm. He fires one shot and then misses, um, but he immediately mm-hmm. fires again, and it goes through the left temple and his father dies yeah that's not a good that's not good no no um he then shoots his mother in the chest and she is killed instantly Mm -hmm. and then his wife turns to him and says oh frank don't shoot me don't shoot me frank his middle name was frank okay thank god Well, francis but okay at least it wasn't fred that was what i was concerned i've been concerned about this for the last half hour (laughs) priorities fred (laughs) yeah no i know (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. I find it interesting that she called him by his uh, middle name, though. Yeah. And she's really trying to appeal to him. Yeah. yeah. Which I, of course you would. Yeah. You'd have to, right? You just watch somebody murder your parent, your mother and father-in-law. Yeah. Hmm. So David goes to her and scoops her up in his arms, and he kisses her, and then he shoots her. Yeah, he's not, he's a bad person, and has some problems. Yes. Jeez. So he takes the horse and buggy back to the train station and returns to Grafton where the police are waiting for him. He immediately makes the full confession and he is arrested. He says that Myra is waiting for him at the train station. She bursts into tears when she sees him being arrested. And then David says, On seeing her standing on the steps, I said to the officer, That is the young woman who has ruined me. Oh, he's passing the blame. Come on. Yeah. That's, you can't. No, 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 no. That's not how that works. You have to. Also, how did they know it was him? So I'm going to get to that. Oh, okay. okay. Yes. Because actually this story gets picked up by a lot of other news outlets. Oh, one of um, those. It went viral. It did. Mm-hmm. It went viral mm-hmm. in 1865. I mean, it could happen. It could happen. <laughs> uh, the New York Times actually covered really? this quite the extensively. Times. Well, I mean, it's kind of a sordid tale when yeah. it comes down to it. So they they claim things happened a little differently. Mm -hmm. Um, There's an article that was published on February 2nd, 1865. 
And it says that when David arrived home, um, only his wife was present. Mm -hmm. um, and that he began ransacking and robbing the house. It's probably the more likely. Yes. <laughs> so his wife was obviously panicked and, you know, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't answer. So she went to get his parents. Mm -hmm. And when all three returned, David immediately shot his father. Sure. The New York Times then says that he either used a knife or an axe to stab his mother to death. That seems a little uh, extreme and messy. Hmm. And then it also says that he set fire to the house to make it look like an accident. And because his yeah. wife's body was so badly burned, they couldn't tell how she was killed. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's why people burn burn things down, right? Yes. You see that now. It doesn't, doesn't work as easily now but with modern forensics, but... Yeah, I would believe the times over him, honestly, yes. if you want to know the truth. Um, you know, a reputable news source versus somebody who committed a triple homicide with perhaps an axe mm -hmm. and wants to make himself look good in his own autobiography. Yes. Or look better, I should say. He knows he's not going to look good. Those people mm -hmm. usually know that. But either way, they're all dead. Yeah. Brutally. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, it's a brutal, brutal crime. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It is true mm. that the house was set on fire. David mm. does not talk about this in his autobiography. Yeah. He actually says that he really doesn't remember a lot of what happened. I, that's also possible. I mean, I, yes. I would believe that people go into, you know, a state where they don't remember that. What's interesting, though, is that both David and the New York Times say that Laura is pregnant at the time of her death. That's even wife. better. Mm -hmm. The reason she was with his parents was because the pregnancy was very rough on her and she was getting sick. Sure. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. It's what, what you would do. Hmm. So, the reason the police caught him so quickly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The New York Times reports that he has rented a horse and buggy. So when he arrives in oh, so Michigan, he rents a horse and buggy. Come on, man. He goes and he murders his family. Come on. He's in such a hurry when he leaves that he cuts the rope that was tying the horse instead of untying it. Mm -hmm. And when he goes to the train station to return everything and then to leave for Grafton, part of the rope is in the buggy, mm -hmm. part of the rope is at the farmhouse, and he pays the guy for the rope to replace it, saying, I broke it. I broke it. Yes. I cut this after I murdered three people and burned down my parents' house, essentially. So the rope becomes the key evidence that uh, links him interesting. to the crime. Hmm. Yeah, he's not a very good murderer either, is he? Or he is a good murderer and not very good at covering up. David says in his book that he doesn't remember committing the murders and that he must have suffered a moment of insanity. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to standing trial... He refused an examination to determine whether or not he was mentally competent to stand mm -hmm. trial. Mm -hmm. And he also declined to enter a plea. Yeah. The New York Times reported that Bivens said he would rather be sentenced to solitary confinement than an insane asylum. Because he believed yeah. that he would be allowed books and paper in solitary confinement so he could read and write his own book. I mean, certainly more than, I mean, those asylums were crimes against humanity. Essentially, yes, yes. <laughs> that, that was maybe worse than a death sentence as they lobotomized you or, you know, mm -hmm. all sorts of horrific things that they would do to people who they thought were mentally ill. So he clearly was aware of this, even though in his book, he claims that he doesn't remember a lot. It must have been a moment of insanity mm -hmm. or a moment of passion. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's aware of what could happen to him. He knows the repercussions, at yes. least. Yes. There is a lot of coverage about this trial. There's a lot of violence that is happening because mm. his attorney ends up asking the court if they can postpone the trial mm -hmm. because there's so much violence going on that counsel cannot investigate what really happened and build his defense. Violence in as violence against the attorneys who are defending him. When they're trying oh, really? to go okay. out, yes, and gather evidence. Against the defense team. Yes. Hmm. And also they're saying, too, yeah. that they really want to travel to Grafton to bring witnesses to build up his character. Sure. And that that's going to take time to do. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. The motion is granted by the court, but it doesn't sound like they're given very much time. Because mm. in April, he is found guilty. So that's only a few months Two later. Two months? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you have the right to a speedy trial. That doesn't exist any longer, but maybe it did then. Although there's reasons to delay things, so you can actually have a fair trial. So. Mm-hmm. But he um, is found guilty, and he received a life sentence. Mm-hmm. He is sent to Jackson State Prison, and he spent the rest of his life in solitary confinement. He passes away in 1870. He's just shy of 30. I have to say, he didn't make it very long, did he? Yeah, mm-hmm. he passes away, and he is buried in basically a field in Michigan where other prisoners were were buried. Sure, I mean they don't. It wasn't wasn't <laughs> wasn't a very ceremonial end for inmates. That's for sure. Yeah. Hmm. So he, he says, why I committed this horrid crime for which I am confined, I know not. God, who sees the heart of all, knows that it was not for money, property, or any such thing. No thoughts entered my mind. However, mm-hmm. the New York Times reports, while thus employed, he made the acquaintance of Miss Myra Hart, the daughter of a dry goods merchant of Grafton. Mm-hmm. He was smitten with her charms, and it is believed made some progress in gaining her affections. Mm-hmm. But there was a Woodstock lady in the way of a consummation of his wishes. Mm-hmm. He resolved to be rid of this encumbrance and at the same time secure the property he would need to support Miss Hart. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen that story before. Right. So he, he really doesn't give any explanation in his book as to why he did it no no. but the evidence really seems to suggest that he never got the property he always wanted from his parents basically even as a child he never got anything yeah or they moved or they left his uh, they left where he was being spoiled Mm -hmm. so and what was that five or so and a child that age will have those memories Mm -hmm. Um, because they'd be very strong ones at that point too yeah. At least at least in your subconscious, at the very least. Yeah, and he wanted it. And he wanted it, and then he Never met Myra and mm-hmm. felt that he needed to support her, especially when mm-hmm. Myra comes from such a wealthy and, mm-hmm. you know, well-known family in this area. Yeah. And, you know, he even says that she's around the highest circles of society. So he needs to be able to support her. He wants to move on up. Yeah. So let's talk about what happened to Myra. This okay. is kind of interesting. Yeah, that's she managed to not get murdered, which is good. Yes. Even though Myra insisted on wanting to continue her education, I actually checked with Oberlin College. Mm-hmm. They have no record of her ever attending or graduating from the school. I also questioned just how much she really liked David. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... Because in 1866, so about a year after year, he's yeah. sentenced, she marries. Mm-hmm. She marries mm-hmm. George William Lavu, who was a Union soldier in the second, second, excuse me, 63rd Regiment of the Ohio Infantry. Mm-hmm. He enlisted in 1865, so he was not in the army for very long. No kidding. Yeah, <laughs> that's the right time, I suppose. But that's a very, very quick period of time. I feel like too. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's not very long, but... Mm -hmm. And somebody who was not, obviously, a local to the area. Maybe she wasn't interested in people in the area or didn't like the the population too much. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's fair. It's it's still a small town at that point. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's it's Cleveland or Cincinnati at that point. Um, Only a few thousands of people here. Yeah. But... And then, of course, there's maybe there's she was had to do it, or there's convenience factors and financial things, and mm-hmm. maybe she was traumatized by the whole experience with a triple murderer, and you know has problem had had couldn't process it right mm-hmm. or, or health or in a healthy way. It doesn't seem like she is mentioned by name very often. I think that mm-hmm. one New York Times article is the only one that actually says she's Elmira Hart. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of them just refer to a woman in Grafton. Yeah, because I, I don't know that name. I've never seen that. I, I've seen the Hart family and William Hart, mm-hmm. um, but I've never seen anything too detailed about his family. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. And it's not clear, too, if she was in any way involved in the trial or if they even really brought her up in the trial because it seems that they focused mostly on the property 
Probably. I mean, they it was in Michigan. They had all the evidence there. This was perhaps ancillary because they didn't really need, or at least the prosecutors probably wouldn't need her mm -hmm. because they had the evidence of he came here and murdered his family. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know. And they, they, they figured the, the motive was probably financial gain, mm -hmm. the property, and the romantic entanglements were present, but not the overriding, if, you know, not the overriding factor, and maybe they didn't even care, frankly, or need it. Yeah. Especially if the defense didn't have any time to <laughs> put anything together. <laughs> right. Which is, you know, problematic in its own way, but... Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really say whether the defense was going to talk to Myra or the no. Hart family. No. But I would assume when you have so much physical evidence in Michigan of what happened that... It just wasn't important. Yeah. Perhaps they didn't need it. They probably... It was an open shut for them, and... Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if people really got fair trials. They don't get fair trials now, so did they get fair trials then? Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that. <laughs> it's yeah. been documented thousands of times. Um, not that it seems like he <laughs> was innocent or, or not no. guilty, I should say. Right. But. I mean, he, he clearly admits to it in his book. Yes. But it's just, yeah. he doesn't know all the details. No, or he's, you know. He has the own details in his imagination, and it, mm -hmm. that has become reality to him, yes. which we all do. I mean, we all do that, so I I, I can see that. But yeah, and they, and they wouldn't really delve into it, and, and, and why would the, the news look at, look here? Mm -hmm. um, he's trying to make himself maybe look, well, he's trying to make himself look like a victim in, in some ways. Oh yeah, because you can, you can tell he's so smitten and obsessed with her and that's sure. all he talks about and mm -hmm. you know that would create a better story if you have this person who just oh i'm just caught in this marriage mm -hmm. but i i love this woman and mm -hmm. i just want to be with her so i had to do this you know yeah yeah it, it moves the blame somewhere else mm -hmm. and he can he can say i did it i did it for love like yeah but the news says you axed somebody to death who was your mother. Mm -hmm. So there's some kind of disconnect here. Yeah. Hmm. So by 1870, um, hmm. Myra is living in Vermilion with her husband. Um, they have three children. Mm -hmm. They have another Myra. <laughs> I mean, you sure, of course. Yes. They have Harriet and they have George William Jr. Named after the king, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the first thing I thought of. Uh, Myra is just basically a housewife. I mean, there's, mm. there's no evidence that she's continued her education or has done anything as far as a career goes. Yeah. And all the evidence we have for her being interested in that is from his autobiography, correct? Yes. Yeah, I don't believe that then. That is a thing that did happen, but it was vanishingly rare. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, because aside from his word and then I mean, a few are, census records about her being in school. There's plenty of colleges who didn't allow women. Yeah. <laughs> Oberlin, I think, by that point did. I believe Oberlin, um, Oberlin's has been progressive, pretty progressive for a long time, obviously. But yeah, so I feel like that would really be the only place that would be available to her at that possible. time. Unless she wanted to go out of state, maybe. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, there's I mean, there's quite a few old you know, old colleges in this part of the, part of the state, but... Mm -hmm. I mean, how long was it before Harvard led in women? Mm, yeah. It was a long time, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Oberlin, obviously, was better about that, but still not great. But and, yeah, that sounds like maybe that was his imagination in, in some ways. Could have, been, could have been true, obviously, and she changed her mind, mm -hmm. which, you know, fair. <laughs> we yeah. all change our minds. I don't, yeah, whatever absolutely. works for you, right? Um, her husband is a dealer in fish, which I have to say, I looked up the census yes, records. Yes, that's a great... I wish I was a dealer in fish. Well, I thought it said at first dealer in jish because of the way the handwriting Oh, because you can't read anything in those census records. Yes, yeah. so it took me forever to be like, wait a minute, that's not a J. It's not a J. That's, that's an F. Not jish. I was like, what's jish? Yeah, I was like like Googling, like, what is... <laughs> it, was, it was a very stressful couple of days where I'm like, this makes no what sense. Fish, but, fish does make sense if these up in vermilion. Right, yeah. <laughs> I should have put it together sooner. Ah, uh, you know, it's it's hard to read <laughs> those things and you don't think about it. 
Also, who says dealer in fish? I know. It's very formal. You're fishmonger, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Is that, that fishmonger cooler. is? They're both good titles, don't get me wrong. Yeah. You know. I, I like fish. I can't <laughs> lie. So, at least she didn't get murdered by him, though. Well. Oh, no. no. Did, okay. She got murdered by somebody <laughs> no, else? No, she didn't get murdered okay. by someone else. But, oh. so her, her first husband passes away. All her children got murdered by somebody else. You're going to tell me something bad. I'm going to tell you something creepy. It's not oh, bad. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I'm, you know, I don't like creepy things. <laughs> So, her first husband dies. Mm. She remarries at age 40 in 1887. Boy, that was... That's really strange, actually. Yes, yes. she marries Very rare. Alonzo Phillips. That's a good name. He is a carpenter. Oh, carpenter. Yes. Um, they first live in Sandusky before mm. they move to Michigan. Oh, no. About an hour or two away from the murder location. They move to Grand Rapids. Ah, uh, Grand Rapids. Oh, okay, so he would have been near Grand Okay, I do know Grand Rapids. Yes. So they huh. have they have one daughter, and Myra stays in Michigan until she dies at age 80. She was returned to Ohio, and she is buried somewhere in Vermilion. Hmm. I, hmm. Strange how I guess there was not that many people living in Michigan. So maybe you go there, because that's where everybody <laughs> lives, but... It's just a little creepy to me. That's a little strange, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think David ever told her that... You where know, he like, lives, yeah. you know? But it's just connections and weird. No, I would imagine he wouldn't be telling her much about any of that if yeah. he wanted to not be involved in that any longer. But yeah, those connections can be, those geographic connections can be really strange sometimes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I guess murderers come from Michigan. Yeah. It's what we've always <laughs> known, right, I mean, friend? <laughs> I mean, I like Michigan because I have family in Michigan. I've been there scores of times at this you know it's been years but because they're all long gone sadly but i've been through michigan hundreds of times <laughs> i'm like oh michigan's nice apparently there's a murderer from there i know there's lots of murders in michigan technically but yeah i mean there's <laughs> murders in grafton so, so hmm. yeah well, that's an interesting I, yeah that's a strange connection to have and it's interesting that that made national news, one. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, that <laughs> she didn't get murdered by him. I find that it seems like lots of people end up getting murdered in these mm-hmm. these situations. I mean, I, that's happened within, within the last few years here, if I'm not mistaken. So, mm-hmm. Or at least not in the village itself. But I found some bodies up there a couple of years ago. But... And that's what's abandoned building. Something else. Who knows what was that? But what that was. But yeah, that's. Um, We've seen lots of these stories. Before, wait, something got it's... shot over the summer, I believe, too. But yeah, yes. that kind of stuff happens. And you know, it's always shocking, even though maybe it shouldn't be when we when we talk about you know criminal crime, mm-hmm. true crime. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing. That was... Of course. Did, did the story time live up to the hype? That was... <laughs> that, yeah, I didn't know almost any of those details. So that was... I mean, that's... Uh, it, it's a fascinating story. Because there's one documentation from two different sources. Mm-hmm. Which is not super common in that period of history. Especially in the Grafton area. Yeah. I mean something that makes the, the, the times. I mean, they covered it for all of the beginning of February. Yeah, a few months there, right? Yeah, and then they also covered in April when he was sentenced. Yeah. So there was obviously, I mean, those kind of, it just goes to show that those kind of stories are, what, those kind of new stories are what people are interested in. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what we like to read, we, it still is the case today. Yeah. This entire TV network's de- dedicated to right. <laughs> true crime. Right, this is an ID story. Oh, you know, that's, I, mm, I've watched a lot of those with friends of mine, and their wives are like, "Don't kill us." I'm like, no, we're not. We're not going to kill you. We're, a spouse. Yeah, don't worry about it. We we like you. You're fine. <laughs> don't worry. But, oh yeah, no, it's almost, and, and we find that that happens. It's always somebody. It's almost always somebody you know. It's not. It's very, mm-hmm. very, really a random thing. It's, it's. But then it leads back to <laughs> this person was traumatized as a child. They weren't treated. They were not able to process their emotions and it 
spirals out of control. Yeah. So, and then it leads to tragedy, sadly. Thank you, Fred, for listening to our story time. Thank you very much for having me. That was quite an interesting and slightly creepy thing. Yeah, I'm mm -hmm. glad you enjoyed it. I hope our <laughs> listeners enjoy it, too. Mm -hmm. For more local history content, you can check out the Grafton Midview Public Library's collection at gmplibrary.org slash localhistory. And if you have a question for us or a topic you'd like us to explore on a future episode, please send us an email at postcardsfromgrafton at gmail.com. This has been Postcards from Grafton.